head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 248 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, a.k.a. the Irish MMA God, a.k.a. the pod God, or anything else you'd want to call me. Joined today by Philip O'Connor's Graham is away in, in Brazil. We probably should have said that in the podcast last week, that Graham's gone to Brazil for like... <laughs> Two weeks, but we completely. Well, me forgetting is one thing, but Graham forgetting is another thing. But anyway, I'm joined by all the way from Sweden. Like, why could Graham have come on from Brazil if you were coming on from Sweden? He's useless. Look at that's the thing, you know. Unless there's a few bobbleheads, you know. Ask Connor. Connor might be able to get him for us. Connor, you know? We'll actually. It used to be. It used to be that we have to go through Graham to get to Connor, and now it's the other way around. Yeah. We have to go through Connor to get fucking Graham. <laughs> but is Graham's wife from Brazil? Is she? Graham's wife's from Brazil. Yeah. So I think like they got married around here. Uh, a few months ago and they said you know they'll have something for her family in Brazil as well I don't want to be like giving away Graham's <laughs> life story but oh, that's, no, 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 that's fine we yeah. won't be giving away his, his tax return <laughs> but obviously like the last the last check from Connor just cleared now so he's going down yeah, to, going down to, to treat them all to rice and beans and a few a few beers it's, yeah. great, it's a great part of the world yeah. De- definitely if you can get down there Shawnee it's a, a fantastic people yeah. and talk about mad for sports but there you go we'll get into that as we yeah, it's, I'd say Graham wouldn't even give him rice and beans or he'd be giving him fucking whatever the, the Brazilian version of Lidl is he's all fucking bean I'd say still water I'd say all he'd be getting off of him <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let's get into all together this uh, this Bellator Dublin card from last night, and it's it's weird because you know we go into uh, obviously you watch it on on TV and on tape delay I'm sure, and I watched it live in the video, so I got to actually see him live. I was one of the fucking seven thousand people who actually got to see him live. But for the last few cards, almost every card we've. Okay, there's been a couple of them that we thought were really good on paper and turned out to be really good, and then other ones we thought maybe weren't great on paper, but actually turned out to be really good as well. So they haven't, you know, they've had uh, maybe a couple of the shows haven't been absolutely brilliant, but they've all been good. Last night, I think on paper it looked like the card was put together wrong after the injuries, and it turned out that way. Like there were some really good fights early on in the card, uh, some really enjoyable fights, but then the last three fights. I think the placement of them was just wrong. I think the amount of fights on the card at the time was just wrong. And at the end, and this isn't just me saying, if, if anyone was there in the crowd, they saw it. A lot of the crowd had cleared out. After the Aaron Chalmers fight, it kind of happened. I'd say there was probably 60% of the crowd left at the main event time, which is never something you want to know. I asked David Green about it afterwards as well, and he said, you know, maybe that's something they, they need to look at. But... At home, I know I was talking to actually one of my friends, and he said before I had even said it, he goes, "Jesus, the place is empty." How did it look to you watching mm. at home? It did. It looked a little bit disappointing, and I really felt bad for Liam McCourt. So mm. here you have the first two women ever to headline a Bellator Europe card, and one of the things they kept saying, "Liam McCourt, the first woman." No, there was two of them in there, yeah. and poor El Julia, she got very much forgotten during the week. Hardly surprising because you know I was watching her interview. Uh, I, I don't think it ever came out, but she did a few interviews with a few people. And <laughs> yeah, you go on, you can just, say it. <laughs> 
Yeah, let's just say the English wouldn't be great, right? I reckon oh, she God. might have missed one or two of those classes. So she did. She struggled in that. And it never really, like, she never got to be part of that whole sort of thing, hold the whole hype. She came in, she did her thing, and she disappeared. But it was weird, Sean, because, like, they did, they, Bellator, in a way, they did a great job, right? Having the prelims live on YouTube was brilliant. So uh, there's mm-hmm. a friend of mine, Villa, here, who lives up the country. They're saying, Villa, get this on now. You'll enjoy this because, you know, the prelims are usually good. There's people on the card who are fighting for something. They're fighting for the future. Mm-hmm. A couple of great shows there. But what absolutely ruined the experience was as soon as there's all our camps turn, Bill is a Swede or a, a Swedish, you know, whatever. He wants to see Encamp. It's gone. And you have to wait until four o'clock in the morning and you'll have to have Sky Sports, whatever day it is they're calling it this week, to be able to see it. Like, you know, and the whole momentum as a viewer got lost, right? Mm-hmm. So I went over then to the UFC prelims from Auckland because that happened to sort of drop in the middle of it. And then when the main card started or whatever it was, 10 o'clock your time, 11 o'clock my time, then I went back to Bellator and the whole thing just wound up being very confusing. But it was that thing of like, you know, some of the fights, there was no great sort of pace to the fights that were left, right? Charlie Ward, of all people, was forced into a sort of grinding match. We don't normally see Charlie doing that. Uh, Aaron was forced into a similar situation where it was just grind, grind, grind the whole way. And then Leah's fight also went the distance, that kind of thing. So, And, you know, Charlie's, I, I know we won by knockout, that kind of thing, but there was like 30 seconds left. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was, you know, what they tend to call one for the purists, right? It was very enjoyable if you enjoy grappling and that kind of thing. But if you don't, you know, that was a hard old sell. And I think there was a good few people there who, you know, 20, I think it was 20 fights on the card in total. You'd know better than I would. 19, like, I think, 20, yeah, one fell off. Yeah. 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 I, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, uh, what was it? Philip McPeter. I can't remember one, yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, that's it. but 19 fights is too many because, like, no crowd, like, and you may are the kind of people who, we walk through the door, you know, half an hour or 45 minutes before the first fight happens and then we stay there either by the cage or by where they do the, the interviews afterwards for the whole night mm-hmm. and we want to see every fight on the card and we give out bangers about the fights we still watch them but if you're out with your mates like if you come up from Limerick with a bunch of lads in the back of the car and you go and you have a bite to eat somewhere in Dublin and you park down around the tree arena do you really want to be sitting there through 19 fights like you know mm-hmm. and I don't know again I don't want to take anything away from Leah because like that was a huge achievement for Bellator to believe in her and her at the top of that card is a huge achievement and winning that fight is a huge achievement because that was adversity that she came through there and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and it's just a little bit of a shame that there weren't more people there to celebrate when her hand was raised at the end you see the problem with it is uh, Andrew McGann used to always talk about this in the podcast with us before that Irish crowds are very kind of and, I, and I've seen it as well after so it's, it's Irish crowds are very kind of team oriented you know if your team right now guys are gone you go away home, you, you know, you go to the, the after party with them lads or whatever. If you're SPG or if you're, you know, the guy, lads up to North or whoever it is, you kind of go that way. And this, I think there was that, but there was also like, I thought there was a pretty good Scottish contingent there. I think there was a good few people <clears throat> over from Newcastle as well to, to uh, watch the Aaron Chalmers fight. Because I think, the um, you know, Ryan Scope was supposed to be on the card as well. Um, and uh, Cal Lillner was supposed to be on the card. Obviously, that didn't happen either. But the fact that, you know, there was those crowds there as well, and they left, <clears throat> but uh, maybe after the Aaron Chalmers fight, you still had the large Irish crowd and everything like that. But you didn't have the fight like the James Gallagher her fight to keep them there that they're really yeah. investing because Liam McCourt it's look I'm, I'm taking absolutely nothing away from Liam McCourt she she had a lot of mental difficulty physical difficulty difficulty coming into this fight week and making weight and getting in there and won her fight take absolutely nothing away from her but if this happened with Leah maybe when she was 12 and 1 and she was one fight mm. away from a title fight then nobody would have left because there's a meaning on it if she wins that big fight you know if she's fighting Katz and Gano or someone but she's mm. what is she 3 and 1 fighting Yehuda Ruiz who is 
you know, she's only six or seven fights into her career as well. Nobody has seen her before. As you mentioned there, she, you know, she can't really speak English and she didn't really have a translator with her. So we couldn't get out interviews with her. So we didn't know. Nobody knew who Judah Ruiz was, was fighting. Or sorry, who was uh, Liam McCourt was fighting. Sorry. Like I went to the media there and I still didn't really know anything about her because we couldn't really speak to her. Uh, it, it, like it, the main event and the way it played out was very good for Liam McCourt and was good for Bellator leading up to it, but on the night it just it fell flat because of those reasons, and it was always going. It was kind of doomed to go that way. But I think it actually might have been all right if the Aaron Chalmers fight had, you know, say if Aaron Chalmers had won via knockout early, and in the Charlie Ward fight it went the way it went, and Charlie got the late knockout. I think if those two things had happened, I don't think as much of that crowd would have left. And I think a lot <coughs> of them would have been there and cheer, you know, cheered Leanne for, for her whole fight. So it's, I think I think it's very unfortunate for Leah the way it went. But I think that's down to the way Belter actually put out the card. Because I feel like if you had Leah in that position, right, and you had Kiefer Crosby as the co-main event maybe instead of Charlie, and you had Charlie as the co-main event on the... Um, and the uh, American portion of the card, I think that would have made a lot more sense because you'd have that huge Dublin contingent, you'd have the huge SBG contingent um, there for for Kiefer. You know, Charlie, as he'd say himself, he doesn't like doing interviews and he's not maybe that, that I know he's well known for being with McGregor and everything, but from kind of the MMA fans in, in the country. Kiefer ha- seems to have like brought a lot of fans with him. He seems to, you know, the, the kind of the Dublin City fans are really, really with him. Every time he comes out, apart from James, I'd say, he gets the biggest reception it's always huge mm. so i think if he had been in that position it would have been a game changer i think if paul redman would have been a little bit higher in the quality fight against Hart canyon that might have been a game changer even if franz Malamba versus bandeas just the way they put it out i thought it was I, I said it before i thought it was doomed to failure and but but i, I think i put the proviso on i was talking to pizzi and i was talking to nile about it as well and they kind of said the same thing as well we've said that before and we maybe sound like we're very negative coming into cards, and we're almost always wrong. Then they prove us wrong. <clears throat> but this time, unfortunately, like I, I want them to prove us wrong. I was, I hoped there was fucking ten thousand in there till the last second, but they didn't, and it kind of just fell apart. But, but I think that was a gamble, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to respect the fact that even if it didn't work out for them, even if they didn't sort of you know place a winning bet there, they took a gamble and it was well worth doing, right? Because they took the gamble that now that James is out, I, I can absolutely guarantee you that no matter how the Charmers fight went, no matter what happened with Charlie Ward or anybody else in that card, if James Gallagher was fighting there, nobody would have left the arena, yeah. right? Because D- James is sort of, you know, the new Connor, the, the first James Gallagher, whatever you want to call it. Right? People are going to want to be able to say that they saw him fight in the three arena on his way to greatness, you know? Mm-hmm. The way everybody wants to say that they fought, they saw Connor fight the Helix or whatever it was, you know? Yeah. Everybody has their story it's like all these people who were in you know the ground in 1988 when Ireland beat England in the football for the first time or for the first time of major championships you know I saw, and, Je- and I saw James Gallagher fighting the Helix that's even better <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst, the biggest MMA hipster thing I've ever yeah, heard. Right? But, but if if James was there, nobody would have left, right? Does it now? As soon as you take that out, James is the X factor there. We all knew that his name at the top of the bill is going to be selling all the tickets. Take James out, right? The next thing you need is Aaron Chalmers to do well because mm-hmm. it's a feel good. It's a bunch of people over from England or Scotland or wherever else it is, you know, who are over there to see him. And if their boy does well, they're going to want to stay there and savor the the rest of the atmosphere. He loses, that's it. You know, it's kind of like double headers in Crow Park for your non Irish. 
Irish listeners, you know, we have Gaelic games, we have hurling and that kind of thing. And sometimes you can have two big games on and you get in to see both of them for the one ticket. But if your team loses and it's oh, raining yeah. after the first game, you're not hanging around. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit of what happened last night. And it really did. I honestly thought that the prelims portion of the card that was on YouTube was great. I really enjoyed it. But then, you know, there was more sort of excitement about it. And then the, the, the sort of remaining fights, you know, certain fights a little bit, and this happens an awful lot in boxing, is they become so important that there's so much at stake that you get very defensive performances and there's very little for the crowd to cheer and people go booing and they go, oh, look at, you know, we'll just we'll go up the keys and we'll have a drink instead kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, but I still think that it was worth doing. And there's a re- and this is one of the things that I would love to point out uh, as we go along. Bellator did a great job in terms of the PR, right? They took a gamble. They said, Liam McCourt, three and one. Mm-hmm. Open comer, right? And they they managed that really, really well. They said, no, no, we're putting her up there because we believe in her, right? Mm-hmm. And last week, as you know, I was supposed to be over there for the card, but uh, but because of the family situation, I couldn't make it over this weekend. Would have loved to have been there with yourself, Pizzi and Niall and all that. Couldn't work it out, right? But I was sitting there going, fucking hell, this like this is a story that needs to be told. Like Liam McCourt's three and one, twenty seven years old, you know, coming up there and you know put into this position where she has to carry a card. I said to myself, this is worth a story. So I made the lads a Bellator, and I said, is there any chance you can get me to talk to Leah? No bother. So, by the way, I could do a talk to Dave Green about why he uh, they chose us. No bother. They couldn't be nice enough. I sent a text to uh, to Owen Roddy, has a, an agent or a manager who looks after it. No bother. You can talk to Owen as well. And I talked to them, Sean, and uh, I wrote an article about it. And it came out on the Reuters news agency. Now, Reuters is the biggest news agency in the world. But I got up on Friday morning. It came, like, this is published automatically at 8 o'clock on Friday morning. And then they put it onto their Twitter account. Their Twitter account has 21 million followers, right? Mm. So the first thing most of them would have seen in Europe and this part of the world on Friday morning was Liam McCourt's headline in Bellator. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, they did an absolutely brilliant job of marketing her, of marketing the card, of marketing the organization, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, there's a couple of things I wanted to avoid mentioning. I tried to avoid mentioning that Bellator is a competitor to the UFC because I feel I've written about it that much now that I don't have to do that anymore. If you don't know what Bellator is, I'm sorry, you're going to have to Google it, but there's only so many times I can spoon feed you this, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing I stayed away from was the fact that, you know, all is a single mother, et cetera, et cetera, because A, we said those things before, and B, we wouldn't be saying, you know, Conor McGregor's an unmarried father too, right? Yeah. So, you know, all of these things, there was a huge amount of progress made. Now, unfortunately, again, it's kind of like, you know, North London derby in football. You know, you, there's just no guarantees and the hype and the crack and the enjoyment everything that goes into it. And sometimes it just falls a little bit flat. I thought Leah was brilliant in there last night. I thought that she did really, really well. She controlled the fight for an awful lot of it. We know now and she knows what she has to do. And that was the other thing that David Green and Roddy were saying was that, you know, no, no, no let's not talk about title fights. Let's not talk about Cyborg. Let's not talk about any of that. Let's talk about where Leah is now. And they really managed those expectations there. You know, but I thought in general she did really well. And at the end of the day, it's not her fault people went out you know that's it's up to David Green and you know David is a very honest and decent man I know you talked to him over the last couple of days mm-hmm. he's always very you know he doesn't do the Dana White thing of saying you guys don't know what you're talking about he'll take your criticism or your questions on board you know and I think they will go back and they say right you know what do we gain out of this well Liam McCourt is much better known uh, we also re- realised we didn't construct a card we didn't create momentum all the way through the card mm-hmm. the momentum fell apart in the arena not just on TV but in the arena at some point and we need to work out how to stop that from happening again even if a James Gallagher gets injured or something yeah I, I think that's something Bellator have improved an awful lot on as well because I remember back in the day Bellator didn't take it that well when I was criticising them but I feel like they have now you know we went in there on on the media day on Thursday and we absolutely 
grilled Dave Green. I was very proud to be a member of the Irish MMA crew at that because we I thought we did a, a very good job there. I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much. But he came out again last night and he spoke to us again. He answered all the questions. And after a tough card like that, you know, he didn't need to come out and talk like that. So I, I appreciate him with that. You know, there's always issues with, uh, <laughs> with maybe not PR, but like organization things. It's, there's always some sort of issue. But they, they always do their best and they always try to get it fixed for you as, as much as they can. So I, you know, I, I couldn't fault Beltor for that. I think they do a good job. But it's just... I think they made, coming up to the card, uh, with the card itself, I just think they made mistakes. And as you said, they were kind of on a hiding to not. Like the thing about Liaz, she performed very well, but Liaz at a certain level right now. And she's not at a main event level in terms of quality. I think in terms of story, as you mentioned, uh, in terms of like pushing herself as a story as well, I think she's absolutely fantastic. Like, and that's why I say, let's say Leah gets to 12 and 1, and Leah's one of the top five women in, in Bellator. Then you've, it's a different dynamic, and she has both like the ability and the quality to headline a card and the story. And I think you need, I think you need both of those things. But it's, 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 you know, it's an interesting man. They, look, they were left in a tough situation as well. I actually don't criticize them for putting Leah in the main event. I think that was actually probably the right decision thinking about it. Maybe Kiefer would have been uh, as good an option or a better option as well, but I wouldn't criticize them for that. I think it was the way they led up to it was, was the biggest thing. But um, we, we'll talk about more about the fight in a second. Let me just run through a couple of the undercard fights first and, and the results there. To me, my favorite fight of the night, and not to sound like a hipster or anything here, uh, was Constantine Blanchard versus uh, Azel Adju. My, my apologies for terrible pronunciation. But these lads came out, right? You're you're looking at the first fight at night. An no guy against an no guy. SPG against Team Rhino. And you're thinking, right, did, did, you know, these lads might be a bit green. This might be the, the best fight in the world to get us started. The tough, the crowd's still coming in and all. These lads went out there and they put on... A fucking phenomenal fight. It's one of the it's one of the best fights I've seen, and I, you know, I mean, I wouldn't go blown about a fight if it, if it actually wasn't this good. I was really, really impressed with Azel. He's he fought fought out of a very you know karate kind of maybe MVP sort of sort of style for a while. Yeah, hands when, down. <laughs> when you yeah, when you fight out of that sort of style, it's hard to keep that going. You get a little bit tired. And Blanchard in was like the consummate um, uh, team Rhino fighter. Just I'm weathering this fucking storm. And I'm getting through it, and he won the fight. He ended up winning the fight. It was a, it was a close decision. I thought Blanchia ha, had won it. Did it go to? He went to a split decision. Yeah, it was. You know, not surprised it was a split decision, but I think they just about got it right. But these two lads, it reminded me a little bit of the the James Sheehan and Gary fight from last year, I suppose, at this stage. Mm. Two good guys, you know. As I lost here, but I wouldn't take anything away from him. I think he's going to be going on and being a very good fighter. And I think the same with Constantine as well. Really, really impressed with these. This that might be the fight I take the most out of honestly because we've two new guys coming through there I'm really really looking forward to seeing them again uh, we uh, Kieran Clark had a good win as well a, a dominating uh, unanimous decision over Jamie Falding he looked good as well Blaine O'Driscoll getting back on track uh, here again after you know he's 7-3 and three in his career a lot of people I think Graham was used to be very, very big on, on Blaine O'Driscoll. You know, he's had his losses, but he came in here, got a few knockdowns, and got a devastating uh, finish there again. The Callum Murray, Dylan Logan fight. If anyone likes jiu-jitsu, you'd absolutely love that fight. That was a dinger, yeah. Yeah, there was triangle attempts everywhere, and Dylan Logan ended up getting a rear naked choke, but it was, you know, it was a really, really fun fight. So, like, those first few fights, 
they were very good. It's, it's unfortunate the card was like really good at the start and kind of fell down at the end. So that's the, the you know the thing about it. Chris Duncan uh, won as well against Matthias Pizark. Uh, he got the TKO in the second round. Will Flory came back as well. Got a really really good win there. You know one doing a fucking interview or one thing or another. We missed the start. Apparently Will knocked him down with a uh, with a right hand. I did, I I, did, I don't know if you saw it or not. Or was this on on the sky? But uh, we saw the finish anyway. Got the arm triangle choke. But Justin Justin Moore is one of these lads who was like he's you know he's a brick shit house he's a tough tough guy and will flory has always been a guy that has talked about physically dominating guys as well as technically dominating them and the fact he kind of did both of those things to to justin moore is a real feather in will's cap i think and you know he i don't think there's anyone around irish ma that maybe has a more intelligent outlook in terms of you know preparation and talking about nutrition and talking about uh technique and talking about all those you know and the non-technique parts as well you know the intangibles i suppose they call them in in america mm-hmm. i'm always impressed with how, how will that and anything uh from those few fights that that stood out to you that uh that you enjoyed well that will flurry arm, tri- arm triangle i was stuck off an arm triangle i was lovely and you know the way you're sitting there going you can see it coming you know yeah. i just go oh i really hope he gets it and just when he skipped across there to, from uh from the left side to the right side as we looked at it on tv there and just and you just went oh that's just brilliant it was just lovely the, the execution of the whole thing but like you say his intelligence shone through in the whole thing like he didn't put a foot wrong in the whole fight but you know the big thing and this is one of the things i was talking to Alan roddy about last week because we were talking about um that famous night in July when the Irish ran through the card and Paddy and Norman Park and the whole lot, you know, everybody winning. And, you know, PC always says, oh, we'll never see the like of that again. We probably never will. But I was saying, like, himself and home were saying that, you know, it could very well be coming. That, like, the second wave is definitely coming and there's going to be a lot more women involved in it. Now, I thought Danny Nealon, actually, um, yeah. she was really good as well. Tough because, like, again, that, well, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, and and but and she just kept coming forward, and she she showed that sort of that doggedness and the determination. But sometimes when you talk about doggedness and determination, as we mentioned there in relation to some of the team Rhino fighters, you kind of that's not you know to make up for a lack of skill. That's no, no. on top of all the skill that Andy teaches fighters like that, and that that fighters tend to have, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was really really promising uh, stuff out of some of them. And again, you know, like you were saying about Leah, we know that she's not you know the finished article. You couldn't imagine her in the MGM Grand or the T-Mobile Arena at the top of any build just yet but you can see why she might wind up there mm-hmm. and that was the most enjoyable thing like you say the first fight in the card two fellas doing it like really really technically good stuff entertaining stuff going out there trying to win the fight so the main like the early part of the card had absolutely everything and that was like i was just coming to the end of the soccer i was reporting on just as that was starting because it's it seemed mm-hmm. to start just after breakfast yeah. because there's that many fights like you know <laughs> and, and it was just uh, you're trying to keep an eye on one and you know you're waiting on stuff to come in for the other and get all that out of the way so you can sit back and enjoy it like mm-hmm. and it really was like you know sometimes the soccer you know it got put in second place just but hang on a second i just want to see the end of this round and then you do a minute of work and then you go back to watching the fights yeah. again <laughs> but it was really enjoyable like, and it was good to see as well that you know at that time as well you never expect the arena to be full at that time mm-hmm. but there was still a lot of people there and there was a good bit of pop for fighters coming out and you know when they won and that kind of thing you heard the cheers like it wasn't as empty as a barn at points you know they had their fans there and they had people there cheering for them and that's great for them as well because especially people making their debuts or two or three fights in that, but you know I mean, we've been at fights in Vegas where you're, they're literally fighting in front of the stewards you know mm-hmm. and I really I feel so bad for professional athletes who work 
work so hard for six, eight, ten weeks, make weight the whole lot, go in there, some of them win, some of them lose, and they're doing it in front of nobody. It must be soul destroying, mm -hmm. you know, at the beginning of your career to be doing that. I mean, I'd rather be fighting in a sort of, you know, uh, in a hotel show in front of three, four hundred people, where at least there's, you know, there's a vibe, there's an atmosphere, you can smell what's going on, where than maybe a big arena show where nobody's watching you, you know? Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, as you said, for most of it, I think for maybe the Will Flory fight on, it was probably you know, probably 75% full and went to like 99% full. I think there was only a couple of hundred tickets that actually weren't sold. So at one point it was it was 100% full. It's not that they didn't sell sell the tickets. Yeah, so it definitely was. But, um, you know, you mentioned that Danny Nile fight as well. I thought in that first round that Danny Nile was going to be in trouble and she came back in that <laughs> first round, you know, and got close to even winning. I think a couple of judges actually gave it to her and she won the, the second and third as well. So she did a great job there. Uh, Richie Smullen, tough loss to, to Albert Diaz, lost the split decision. That was another close one as well. Not maybe the most action impact uh fighting the world and you know we know how judging works today if you don't have loads of effective grappling or loads of strikes and you leave it close you know you're leaving it up to like is this strike more worth wor more than this strike or is this submission attempt worth more than this submission attempt and that it can go either way depending on, on who thinks of it so you know it's uh, it, it was definitely a close fight from from that point of view and then we got into maybe the, the big fights this georgia car canyon paul redmond fight you know i think after seeing it, I think people realise why we were, we were all kind of blown up about it. Paul Redman came out, and you know, you mentioned it there about the Team Rhino fighters. It's it's not good having the the uh, the aggressiveness in the heart if you don't have the skill. And that's Paul Redman showed both of those things. I think from the very start, he came out and his hands looked absolutely brilliant, throwing really good shots, coming forward, putting himself in harm's way as well, and and eating a few shots. And I think for the first couple of minutes, we were all thinking like, oh, Paul Redman might get him out of here, but Carhanian is is a tough, tough guy, and he took those shots and he came back and he did well. I think. Like, I thought Car Canyon just about took the first, but if anyone had given that first round to Paul Redmond, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have taken it away from him. But in, in the second, obviously, he went to the ground in, and Car uh, Canyon ended up getting the uh, getting the guillotine. But I think it was the fight maybe people <clears throat> expected in terms of, of quality, maybe not the uh, maybe not the result. I thought, it, I thought it'd be a, a three-round decision. I thought it'd be a close decision. I, I picked Car Canyon to win the fight, but it was, it was a good fight, wasn't it? It was maybe why we were all talking about it going that way. Yeah, it was just, it was hugely enjoyable. And to see Paul come out and box the way he did in the first, you know, minute, 90 seconds, and his boxer was just outstanding. And I was sitting here going, that was the one point where I was saying, you know, anytime I look at pictures of the lads sitting on press row, we got, I'd love to be there. But then when I seen Paul boxer like that, I was going, ah, oh, Jesus, I was sick that I wasn't sitting there watching it, you know. But then, unfortunately, he came unstuck. And that's what happens when you come up against a very good opponent. You know, it's basically like, you know, throwing in a couple of Rubik's Cubes and whoever solves it first, whoever solves the puzzle first gets it done. And Paul, I don't know if, it, I think it was a, was a right hand that rocked Paul there and after yeah. that things went downhill because in the beginning he didn't want to go to the ground with Paul at all right so he was on Paul was on his back and that kind of thing you know I think Paul stumbled or whatever and your man's going no 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 didn't want anything to do with it at all like and he allowed Paul to stand up but after he rocked Paul then he said now I'm okay to go down there and I mean like Paul getting caught by a guillotine choke I'm sure he's probably disappointed himself mm -hmm. to get caught by that because you know black belts uh, don't like to get caught guillotine chokes at all it's one of those you always feel like a sucker other chokes you can accept you know sometimes a rear naked choke you just can't fight it off but you know you tend to stick your head in harm's way to get guillotined you know mm -hmm. and often you think oh you know should I not 
don't have the other ear uh, in close there, so I'm protecting myself. And, that. and it often comes about, especially in MMA, a guillotine choke often comes about when somebody has been rocked and when they're trying to close the distance and get in close to protect their head or protect their face from getting struck again. And I'd imagine if Paul looks back at that, I'm never going to put words in that man's mouth. He knows more, he's forgotten more about fighting than I'll ever know. But I'd say he might look back at that and go, ah, balls, you know, like it may be a little bit annoying for him that it was just that detail that sort of did him. But again, you can't, you know, how do you fault that? He went forward positive. He tried to win the fight. If he was going to win the fight in points, he was going to throw shots and he was going to hit him and that kind of thing. If he was going to go to the deck, he was going to fight and that kind of thing. And it just, it just, I wouldn't say it's never unlucky when you get hit like that, but that, that one strike that put Paul, like rocked him back on his heels a little bit, I think that changed it then. And it made it difficult for him, you know, to sort of to make those split second decisions that you need to be able to keep surviving all the way in an MMA match. And he just never really got his head clear in time. Mm-hmm. But he put in a beautiful picture then later on of the two of them backstage and the yeah. thumbs up. And he gave uh, he gave him props and everything else like that. And he, he just said the better man won. And you see that so seldom. You see, yeah. like an awful lot of people go off and they'll be sort of sour about it. Go, oh, I lost and that kind of thing. Especially if you get... You know, the problem with MMA is often in a loss, it's humiliation because you either get knocked out cold, you get knocked senseless, or you get choked, or you get armbarred or something like that. And I mean, submission, the very word submission means giving up. You know, you're, you're submitting to somebody as you're saying, you're better than me. But Paul just came straight out and said, the better man won. You know, mm-hmm. and there's no, and I mean, that's the thing that's most impressive about him without going fucking half fanboy on it. Paul's just a lovely bloke and that kind of thing. But he's such a great sportsman. He just realised that, no, tonight wasn't my night. I was in there with somebody better than me. Alexander Gustafsson said the same thing about Rumble, I think, back in the day. He's going, look, it just wasn't my night. Yeah. I wasn't there. My head wasn't in the game. He fucking did me and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no argument about it. I can't say, you know, the ifs and buts and all that kind of, forget about all that. Give the man his due and get on with it. And, you know, he, he deserves to hide the respect for that. And I was delighted as well as Simon put out a, a post today and he says, look, I made a mistake. I'm going to try to get get better and I'm going to come back. I was delighted because I saw a few people saying last night, you know, maybe Redzer should retire or maybe he, not that he should retire, maybe that he will retire because, because he has like, um, you know, I think he works a job and he did just kind of finished college there and he's, he's you know, a lot of things on and he does a lot of DJing and things as well. So, the, Red's just one of these guys, it's, it, no, MMA is not his only, a lot of lads, MMA is their only option. Maybe that's a thing he learned from Neil Siri as well because Siri had always said, I remember he did an interview with Andrew back in the day for Severe and said, you know, these lads need to stop thinking about just being Conor McGregor and they need to realise they need to have a fallback as well. And I think Paul Redmond has that. So, the fact that, he can, you know, he, he can still put it into his MMA career, but have a fallback as well. And I think that's actually good for, for people. So I, I'm glad to see but, but I think him. As well, mm-hmm. it, no, I think as well, Shonda, I don't think the MMA has treated him particularly well because yeah. he's one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He's a genuine, honest man. There isn't a bad bone in the man's body, right? He goes in there extremely skilled, brave, aggressive, the whole thing, right? Cut from the UFC and not even putting a main card in his hometown show by Bellator, right? Now, we can talk all day about why these decisions are made and that kind of thing, and we talked about building momentum with cars and everything else like that, but I just don't think that the MMA gods have ever really smiled at Reds are mm-hmm. for all that he's given to the sport and all he continues to give to the sport, right? And it's exactly as you say, he's an extremely intelligent lad, going through college, works a job, I think he was saying that he went down to like three days a week in the pre- preparations for this fight and then had a few days off and went up to it and that kind of thing. But he, he said he'd be back at work again on Monday morning and ready to go. And he's one of these guys that like the best of Paul Redmond may not even come in the octagon. The best mm-hmm. of Paul Redmond may come when there's 10 or 12 of his minions, lads that he said, look, this is what you need to do. This is what I didn't do, et cetera, et cetera. When he's coaching fellas alongside Andy Ryan and when he's coaching people and giving advice to, to fellas and to girls coming up and saying, like, okay, this is how you can reach the places that maybe I didn't do. But I really feel that you know 
like if he was to walk away, you know, you, you couldn't say anything about it. But I, I really want to see him keep going because I just think that the level of, of, of boxing that he displayed and the level of, level of grappling that he's capable of, like I know how much he works on his wrestling and that kind of thing. You know, you hear from people how much he works on that because he understands how important it is. The higher you go, the more important the wrestling becomes in MMA. And a lot of guys just go, okay, jiu-jitsu and, uh, and striking and then I'm done. No, no, no. Like, you know, and they think that jiu-jitsu is wrestling and it's not, you know. Mm. So you, you need to combine all these things. So he's a true mixed martial artist yeah. and the longer we have him competing the more we can enjoy it and the more we can all learn from it you yeah know? 100% I, and I just like seeing him fight so <laughs> I hope he comes back that, that uh, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, then Richard Kiley lost to, to George Hardwick I don't know how fit Richard is to be honest <laughs> like he was badly badly injured after that uh, or before that last fight even and I, I just don't know how fit he is yet you know I, I spoke to him at, at the media then he's you know he said he was 100% I haven't spoken to him afterwards so um, you know he might come on here and say I'm, I'm wrong that he was fitting and, and you know he he lost fair and square I'm sure Richard would say he lost fair and square as well to uh, to George Hardwick but you know Richard has a lot of injuries down through the years the knees and things and he came into MMA very late and you know he, he, he did so well to get to where he got to you know he talked his way there he won you know the, the three fights as well but <sighs> This was, you know, this was a tough loss. This was the the first loss in his career that wasn't in a in a really big fight, you know, in a, in a Bama title for it against MVP. So it'll be interesting to see what Richard does after this. Whether you know those injuries play a part and he does retire, or whether he you know he fights on and tries to get another couple of fights on Bellator as well. You know, I think Richard had said to, I think he said to PZ or said he said to someone anyway uh, that. He, uh, you know, Bellator weren't too happy with him, and we asked, um, we asked Ever Green afterwards, and Ever Green said, you know, I said, no, I, I don't know <laughs> what he's talking about, basically. But it'll be interesting to see if Richard gets another fight in Bellator, and if he doesn't, what's he gonna do then? So, you know, I, uh, Richard's great entertainment as well. I, I, I said it to him in, in the interview there on, on Thursday. It's, I think MMA is a better place. <laughs> Richard Kiley's around as well, you know, because he's he's a great bit of crack, and he's, you know, when he's at his best, he's an enjoyable fighter to watch as well, win or lose. There's always a bit of entertainment with Richard Kiley even though you know the fight of the weekend maybe wasn't the most entertaining but uh yeah look uh, hopefully Richard can get back 100% fit again and we can see him again um uh Elias Boulia that fight then was more made a po- post slim I didn't manage to see it because they were tearing everything down and we were interviewing fucking Kiefer Crosby and all at the background but he got a, a win there over Dago Freitas uh, I saw a couple of people saying it was it was a good fight and then we got into the, the main card your boy Oliver Inkamp this this was the real part I suppose where uh, when you're in the arena you know, we we obviously talk about it before the the tape delay thing and all, but when you're in the arena, you don't really feel it at that time because you see this big spinning back fist from Oliver Ingham. It's like, oh, it's amazing! I tweeted out, and then everyone's like, oh, for fuck's sake, we can't see it. <laughs> what are you doing? Was this the 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 point for you? As I was like, ah, no, Ingham is after getting a spinning back fist, and I can't see it. This is the thing, like, I was actually sort of tweeting away with Oliver last night about that kind of thing when we were discussing how it's spelled for that show that's reading. And he said, Oh, well, I'm coming there, so I'm going to sort it out. I was going, Okay, either you sort this out or I fucking will, you know, because we were discussing that. And, like, I, I, I had a sort of a brain freeze yesterday. And I tried, you know, the way when there's so many fights in the card and you can't remember what's main yeah. card and what's Bellator 240 and what's this kind of thing, you know, I was going, Jesus, I think that might be the last card on YouTube. And then we got to the end, I'm sorry, the last fight on YouTube. And then we got to the end of YouTube and I went, ah, bollocks, it's the next mm-hmm. fight, you know? And then I, that's what I said to you. I think I said to you on Twitter that that's the end of it now, isn't it? We're not going to say it. And then, of course, you know, the spinning backface happens. And I'm like, oh, well, that's just 
fucking great. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I've seen it since then and that kind of thing. I haven't seen the whole fight. I've only seen the finish of it then. But, mm-hmm. you know, Oliver's an interesting character because, you know, he suffered a little bit when he came into the UFC. Again, a kind of, you know, really entertaining fighter and that kind of thing. But maybe just it happened about a year, maybe too early or that yes. kind of thing. You'd almost prefer for him to go through this Bellator journey first and then the UFC. I remember he's like, his jiu-jitsu is incredible. He does a lot of this uh, 10 planet sort of stuff. Really sort of, you know, I'm going to bend my own leg over me, me ear now and you're going to disappear mm-hmm. up my arse and tap, like, you know. <laughs> and this is the kind of thing. But he also spoke afterwards on Instagram. He put out a post on Instagram afterwards saying that, you know, he'd struggled a bit, both physically and mentally coming into this fight. And I must actually, I think he's back uh, this evening, but I might nip over to his gym now tomorrow night and see if he wants to talk about that because he said that he would, like, you know, he used the word uh, a little bit of depression and that kind of thing. So I'd like to talk to him about that because I know that he did suffer a little bit. He lost in front of his home crowd here in Stockholm in a UFC card a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I know that that really sort of, you know, that really disappointed him or devastated him as, as an athlete, you know. And it'd be interesting to see now because he's a successful lad. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he has a very good gym there running. They've, you know, plenty of classes going and that kind of thing, you know. And his family and himself are doing very well out of it. But again, you know, there's... Um, sometimes those losses are very hard to take, you know, and we've mm-hmm. seen people changed overnight, like, you know, fighters have changed overnight by getting knocked out because mm-hmm. they, they reach a level where, you know, the, now all of a sudden the thing that wasn't allowed to happen has happened and they've never countenanced the fact that this could possibly happen, you know, mm-hmm. and they go in there and then all of a sudden they get humiliated or whatever and they literally can't find their way back, Sean, and it's mm-hmm. a devastating thing. Yeah. If you're used to, you know, it's kind of like hurling for Limerick, right? If you're used to being the best at everything you do all the way up and then yeah. all of a sudden you meet somebody, you know, as I say to me kids often, there's always a bigger dog in the playground of you and you've got to be very careful who you're talking to you know yeah. but you know when that does happen then it can be very very difficult to repair so for, from that point of view I'm delighted for Oliver to get that that win last night and to get it in that sort of stylish fashion because I often now it's, it's another thing that annoys me because I always said about him right look just do the basic thing do the simple things well forget rubber guy forget all that right just go in there and box and do your takedowns do your submission get arm bars and rear naked chokes and not you know the, the fanciest submission toe holes or whatever it is you're going after yeah, that's and then <laughs> but in, the be- in the beginning you need that foundation you know you do, when he came yeah. into the UFC like he was, I think in his first fight he was like, after 20 seconds he was on his back pulling rubber guard and got ah slow down you know mm-hmm. but now he's gone in there and now okay it's a spinning back fist it's still quite stylish but it's still a relatively basic technique uh, oh. within sort of kick- kickboxing my yeah. time that kind of thing you know <laughs> it, it's, it's not it doesn't require like Connor's spinning back kicks that's a different level of, yeah. of timing and that kind of thing right but a spinning elbow or a spinning back fist that kind of thing is not you know you, you don't have to press all the buttons on your hand controller to get that one, you know so that's that's grand I'll, I'll, I'll allow that that's not too fl- flashy but not too flashy for me I feel like, so that, I feel like that's the part of the podcast you're going to get slated for this week <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't, but you know what I mean. Like you know, yeah, I, know, I, know, I, know. I, I don't want to take out away from the lad yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing. But to, to see him to, to see him go in there and do a sort of a more basic sort of okay, if I'm gonna have to stand up, I'm gonna have to stand up and do this kind of thing, you know. But um, I, I don't know. Like it's just, I'd love to know what's behind that because you know, it's one thing to say uh, after a loss to come out and say, yeah, well, I wasn't feeling great mentally or physically, but after a victory to come out and still say, look at you know, I came into the. Some fighters tend to do it, you know. We've seen fellas suffer before, you know, and we know the people get in there and they're not in their right mind. And that kind of thing. And I was only looking at Deontay Wilder last night in sort of rounds three, four, five, and six, and he just looked like he didn't want to be there. But Oliver looked happy enough as he was coming out of there last yeah. night. You know? There was a lot of that actually in last night's card because George Harhanian actually, I think his wife had a baby like as he was fighting. Uh, Kiefer Crosby, yep. we'll get on to in a second. His um, his partner had a baby as well, like the week of the fight. You know, Liam McCord was kind of injured as well in the week of the fight. I, I don't know. There's probably more of them as well. Four or five of them missed weight. I believe there was something wrong with the hot water and all that. It was. <laughs> this car was kind of uh, as Pete said last night Leah the course McCourt at top of the card and the car was kind of course so there was, there was a touch of that 
this Ricky Bandet has Franz Malamba fight as well. Like, I really think Franz shot his level in this. He touched Ricky Bandeas up for a round and a half. Absolutely dominated him. And then Ricky got in that clinch and landed that big shot. And I think Ariel tweeted, oh, look at that hand speed. Just majestic hand speed out of Ricky. Knocked Franz down and landed a few shots in the ground and finished him. I thought it was a very, very good stoppage. I know Franz protested it afterwards. I think that might have been the heat of the moment, you know, watching it back again. I don't, I don't think he will because he was definitely out. But this is one for Franz. This is like a, a silver lining, uh, but a grey cloud type of one for Franz because... <laughs> He, he looked really, really good. And anyone who watched this fight can, you know, the, the level of... If they think James Gallagher is really good, and to see what Ricky Bandeas did to James Gallagher in defeat, and I know James has changed it a few years ago since that fight as well, but Franz absolutely dominated a very good striker in Ricky Bandeas uh, on the feet. And, okay, he got caught with the shot, but I think he showed his level. I think it was very impressed. What, what did you think of Franz in this one? No, it was an extremely high level fight. That was one of the ones that I did watch back, like because it's, you know you kind of have to see that. Like Ricky's one of those because the James Gallagher fight, you, you have an extra eye for him and that, yeah. and you're just going okay because like sometimes you see somebody fighting and you go, you know, oh they're really really good compared to somebody, and you see them fighting somewhere somebody else, they're, they're striking or they're grappling or whatever happens to be isn't up to the same level as you thought it was, mm-hmm. or the other person is just you know hugely superior. And it was like you know it's just one of those things. It's so disappointing for France that when people go back and they look at his record, they'll see this like as you know he lost this uh, knockout to Ricky Bandit but they won't see what he did before it you know and that's sometimes how the statistics can lie and it's a good thing about MMA as well because we don't care as much about losses as you might do in boxing right but at the same time it's still a loss beside your name and yet there was so much that you know that he looked good at and that kind of thing so I don't know again it's hard to know if he'll walk away from there you know obviously he'd be disappointed with the loss but I think there's a lot that he can take out of that fight like to stand in there and to bang and to go striking and to dominate in that way it's like you know I wouldn't be too upset if, if I were him you know and then you know, the shot that he did take, there's nobody standing up after that kind of thing. Yeah, it's very hard to survive. It's interesting to see what Ricky's going to do next as well. I, I think the, if James Gallagher beats Cal Eleanor, which isn't by by no means a, a foregone conclusion, I think that's a very good fight. I think uh, I think Cal has his chances. You know, I'd probably just about pick James. So, like, let's say James wins that fight. I think Ricky is the fight. I know we, t- we spoke to James uh, before, when was it? Before the weigh-ins on Friday. And he was kind of hitting that, sir. Well, not hitting, he said straight out, I want to fight Sergio Perez. In, in Ireland I don't know I don't know about that I think the Ricky Bandez fight would be a better one if he got Cali B Cannon and he got Ricky Bandez then I think you're ready for that step up to uh, Sergio Perez I think Cal is or Cal is a good move next I think Ricky if he beats Cal because like if he beats Cal he's not moving on to Ricky if he doesn't beat Ricky he's not moving on to Sergio so it's all about steps you know he might he might yeah. fall at the first step he might fall at the second step he might never fall and he might go on to be the, the champion this is how things are done and I think that was has been a problem with Bellator they're really haven't been taking these steps and especially James and I think the problem with James is he's been so good as a headliner for them that they tried to give him this step to Cal and then there was the Cal injury and then there was a kind of a step back with Roman Salazar and then it was his injury and now we're landing a year down the line and it's and you're at the same step so it's you know it's unfortunate I think they tried to do it with James but it it just it's it's worked it's not worked out great for them um so look we, we'll see how it does but I think Ricky will I think he'll get a big fight in Ireland at the end of the year Brian Moore I know I think he called out Brian Moore's name as well in in the scrum last night and Brian Moore said come on let's let's have a fight so you know Ricky see Ricky you know Ricky's not a great interview I won't lie but he, <laughs> he, he you know he's a good fighter and he's a tough guy and he he said straight out basically last night that you know I have no problem coming back to Ireland and fighting again I have no problem being the the uh the heel let's say so 
you know that that'll be fun. <clears> it's, it's good to have those uh, those stories going around. Um, Beck Rawlings then defeated Elena Kalindu in a you know she pretty pretty much dominated her. Beck was was good during fight week and things. I, I you know she's a good interview, a nice person as well, and you know the I'm a relatively good fighter as well. So she didn't do too bad. Um, then we had the co-main event: Kiefer Crosby against Imek Fortado. This was a very contentious decision. My boy Ben Cartledge, the uh, the premier Golden Axe player in uh, in all of Dublin, scored it for Fortado. I believe he gave him the second and the third rounds. Um, I I think everyone had Kiefer in the first, if I'm not mistaken, and I think the other two lads gave Kiefer the third. Uh, I might have. To, it's over in the decisions anyway. So look look at it for a hundred percent over there. But I thought Kiefer, uh, you know, I thought Kiefer won the third. Uh, but I thought he lost the first two. To be honest, I thought Fortado did enough. Now I'm sitting on press row and I'm fucking uploading videos. I'm not the best, the best in the world. I'd get a chance to watch a fight because I was traveling fucking four hours home from Dublin. So uh, you know, it was it was a tough fight for Kiefer. I said coming in, I thought I thought Fortado was a good fighter. He's a tough, tough striker, and Kiefer's a t- uh, striker as well. So when it turns into that fight, you know, Kiefer got hurt in that first round. I think Fortado slipped, and if he hadn't slipped in that first round, I think Kiefer might have been in big, big, big trouble in that round. So he got a little bit of luck there and you know a couple of lads uh, scored in that round I believe so you know it's it's it was a close fight what, what did you think of it what did you think of the result that, that's actually what I'm going to have to admit I haven't seen that whole oh, fight yeah, yet so like you know yeah. I've been trying to catch up between that and the boxing and Bellator yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and everything else and then like tonight you know there's basketball the time. Jesus I can't keep up with all the sport I it, but I did <laughs> Yeah, no, but it was like I was actually reading a report this morning, and I was thinking I was talking obviously to a few people who were there, and that kind of thing. And it really was like, you know, it's, it's the most decision I've ever heard because everybody was saying it was basically a, a toss of a coin. Like, you know, that they thought that, you know, Kiefer could, like, they were happy enough to Kiefer won it, but they wouldn't have been unha- unhappy if Fortado had won it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's always a sort of a sign that it was a sort of a good competitive fight, a good bit of sort of back and forth and the whole thing, you know. But I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing the pack because it's one of those that, like, you know, somebody like Kiefer who's been sort of building nicely and sort of bubbling along nicely for Bellator and that kind of thing. And you can see the development from one fight to the next I'm looking forward to seeing how far he's come along and you know coming through adversity and walking away with a win like this like uh, the way Liam McCourt did and that kind of thing like that's not a bad thing sort of you know in the future when you know that you can go in there and you can, you can eke these things out especially after getting hurt in the first round as well yeah 100% now, I'm just looking at uh, MMA decisions here one second let me just oh no it's, it's actually isn't up to the breakdown of the round so it's it's not 100% there but I, I think I might have uh, tweeted out in the better thing anyway. but anyway it doesn't matter but yeah it was you know it was a, it was a relatively close fight it was a good fight anyway i think that's that's the most important thing and as i said earlier on as well Kiefer had a a tough week and yeah you know he's what uh, his partner had a baby and and uh you know it's that's always tough he said he was cutting weight in the fucking eternity ward so jesus that you can only imagine what that's oh, like so, so there you go um <laughs> yeah chris bungard then went in against brim primus and chris is one of these lads who look chris is not the best fighter in the world i think he'd probably admit that himself and everyone you know all these fans would as well but i don't think in in recent i don't think i've seen anyone give us less of a fuck and go out and try his very fucking damnness to just win it in some way against good guys like you know he did it against terry brazier he did it against brain primus last night a lot of lads are going against a former bellator champion and they may be like you know, I'll try. Maybe I'll try to step back. Maybe I'll try to go for a takedown and lay on top of him, or I'll try to you know jab him from the outside and stay away and maybe stay in the fight. He went fucking straight for it. Almost took his back <laughs> at the very start, but then ended up getting uh, getting neck crank soon after that and, and dominated. Look, 
uh, in the end it turned out to be a, an easy win for Brent Primus but Bungard gave it his all you know and he, he took it on the fighting short notice as well he taught me and media day during the week he was up on a camel over in Tunisia when he, when he got the call for it about <laughs> three weeks ago or whatever so one of the, one of the funniest guys I've, I've ever seen and, and he's hilarious I'm looking forward to see, uh, see Bungard back again but Primus I think uh, I think showed his level um, and then we had uh, the main card Austin Klim defeated Aaron Chalmers just a, a domination like it didn't look it didn't look great for for Aaron here at all. Uh, his ground game has a lot to be desired. I think he, you know, he was taken down very, very easy. I like just against the fence, his inability to get the underhook and pull him up and turn around and get out from the cage just wasn't there. And you know, Aaron's only two and a half years into his career as well, and he's what is he five and two now? He's done well to get there, and I know the, the matchmaking has been favourable and everything, but. You know, I, I, I don't like criticising Aaron too much because I think he's done it the right way and he's definitely made improvements, but those improvements are not going to come in two and a half years. And he, he said that himself. This is not just me saying it. He said, you know, where am I going to be in another two and a half years? So that, I think that's the right thing. And I like, you know, some lads will come in in his position and they wouldn't be saying that. They'd be, you know, saying either, oh, I'm going to beat the shit out of everyone, I'm going to fucking knock out Conor McGregor or whatever, or they could be saying, I'm having this for fun, I'm having this to make money. I know he's saying, I'm having this for fun, having this to make money as well, but he's, I think he's doing it the right way, and I think a lot of people criticise Aaron. I understood it from the very start, and I, I, I spoke about it that way, but I think most people now kind of understand what Aaron's doing. You know, a lot of a lot of lads lose like this as well, in fairness, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't have too much criticism for him. Yeah, especially early in the career. Like, you know, if you like if he's only been taking this seriously for sort of two and a half years, I don't know how long he's been grappling, how long he's been doing jiu-jitsu, right? Mm-hmm. But last night he looked sort of, you know, blue belt level at best. Mm-hmm. Where and you know, as soon as Clem took him down, that was kind of it, because Clem was doing that uh, Khabib thing where he tied up his legs, like you know, he got to, he sort of made put a little triangle on his legs and then worked his way up into bound. And then he just made it really, really difficult. You know, Chalmers couldn't find an elbow escape, he couldn't bump him, he couldn't really do anything that was effective to deal with it, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, and Clem did what he had to do. He he got up there and he did that and Chalmers battled away at his best. He looked reasonably good on the feet. Like I think it was the start of the second round he came out and he gave him a royal ding and he, and he had a go to it. But then again, you could hear his corner saying, get your back off the fence, get yeah. your back off the fence. Like Because as soon as he was there, like his wrestling's not there, his jiu-jitsu's not there. Like, you know, his wrestling's not there to, to be able to survive on his feet. His jiu-jitsu wasn't there. Like, you know, I know he survived on the ground. He lost by a decision, that kind of thing. But once he got to the ground, it was just okay. The only thing saving him was the signal for the end of the round. He wasn't getting back up by himself. And he even when he was sort of close and Clem was very sensible at the end of the second the end of the third if I remember rightly he actually sort of moved him out a little bit from the fence yeah. to stop any chance of Chalmers but you know what it didn't make any difference because I don't think Aaron knew how to get his shoulders back up there how to sort of start working himself back up there because he just he had no control over his legs he just didn't know how to get out of that triangle that was on his legs and he just once you do that you're stuck you know mm-hmm. and I thought he defended himself very well I think it was Mr McGahan made the point on Twitter Shake about um, Chalmers <laughs> Can't win fights with jiu-jitsu, right? But um, he was saying on Twitter, and it was a very valid point, that um, Chalmers did very well in terms of defending himself from the bottom, right? So Clem didn't really land much in terms of ground and pound. Didn't have a whole lot of... There was no triangle or arm triangles there. There was no arm bars there. There was none of that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. he kept his elbows in. He kept his face covered. He kept his hands active. Kept the hand of the biceps and triceps whenever he could. And, you know, he fought for... He just didn't have like you know it's kind of like opening your tool book, tool, toolbox and realising that your father-in-law has borrowed everything you know he opened his toolbox there's nothing there you know so when, yeah. when he gets these things then because an awful lot of that especially fighting off your back is to do with 
Uh, a is to do with angles and B is to do with bait and switch, right? So you need to somehow unbalance the person in a perfectly balanced position. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't have the things to do that with. That's exactly it. Yeah, that is that is definitely it. And you know, you know, we, we give credit to Austin Klim as well. I, I, I look, I, I watching Austin Klim's fights before he fought Aaron. I think he in a lot of his fights he just took right hands right down through the middle and he got knocked down that way in a lot of his fights and he ended up getting on you know the ground and dominating lads there. But I don't think Aaron true enough of those strikes the right strikes to get him there he threw you know as you said the start of the second especially he threw a few strikes but you know it wasn't a great performance from from Aaron and uh, you know a lot, a lot of building to be done there um we kind of talked about the the top the main two again but I, I think it's worth mentioning to Charlie Ward I've never seen you know, we were all set at press row everyone was kind of looking at Charlie Ward like it's the the oddest thing like Charlie's smiling he absolutely loves it you know, <laughs> he, he said it afterwards we asked him he's like I was born for this you know everyone else says they are but I was born and bred to my, my blood the fighting is in my and I suppose you know the, uh, you know, it was the travelling community the lads always say Tyson Fury said it last night and you know Andy Lee and Billy Joe Saunders and all these lads have uh, have always said it like that and they, you know they truly and it's true like you know it's, it's, it's in these lads blood coming up and uh, he absolutely fucking loves it Charlie Ward does and it was funny as well because uh he he lives every second of it and it's so normal to him that he's so comfortable in there there was i think there was a i don't know was it a grind strike or a knife poke or something but charlie was sent to a neutral corner anyway and there was like a drunk lad in the crowd like behind us and he goes bray charlie bray roaring at him and charlie looks down starts laughing and she goes <gasps> like that and, your man does it. and then they started fighting again your man was like i don't know what he said he's like kick it to the body charlie and then charlie kicks him to the body straight away <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, th- I think it was in that round where he got the finish not too long after that. I was like, this is the most fucking crazy. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Your man was like, finish him, Charlie. Finish him. And he didn't even know and finished him not too long after. It was like, it was one of the fucking funny, weirdest things I've I've ever seen sitting outside. But, yeah. It was, and, and your man is now Char- Charlie's head coach. Charlie's head coach. He was actually just, John Cavanaugh went up and had a few points and he was sitting in the ground. Oh, was, was it Conor McGregor in disguise by any chance? That one, it, that one, yeah. But Charlie afterwards as well, he gave us an interview and like two minutes into the interview he's like right lads that's all i have to say i'm gonna <laughs> just like walk i was like the, the kind of the, the charm of Char- you know you expect that from charlie and there's kind of it's it's charming if, if someone else did it be like all right fuck him <laughs> you know but with charlie yeah, exactly. it's, it's kind of funny but uh yeah but the, the fact that you get anything at all out of charlie because yeah. i know like you know for years he wouldn't he wouldn't talk at all yeah. win lose or draw he wasn't going to talk to anybody but now like last night i mean you do get the idea that you know he usually gets out there very quickly certainly in his bell career he mm-hmm. goes in he gets his job done he gets out like in 90 seconds and there are some fighters will say that you know you don't even break a sweat in there sometime and you put in six eight ten weeks of working camps or whatever and you go in there and the fight's over 90 seconds or whatever and you kind of feel like you cheated yourself mm-hmm. but last night charlie didn't he got in there for a good sort of two and a half rounds or what, what was it a half a minute 36 seconds or yeah. whatever left in the, in the fight when he finished it off but i think he enjoyed himself and i think he enjoyed the, the, so the puzzle that Kurtz was because you know Kurtz wasn't giving him anything for free mm. you know he wasn't he got him up against the cage and that kind of thing but Charlie was looking to land there there was a couple of times Charlie got a, a few like three or four decent left hands in there but Kurtz adjusted and that kind of thing took it away he was taking some shots on the back of the hand still not the best thing in the world but better than getting them straight in the face and that kind of thing okay. and Charlie was going oh okay right and then you know he was really sort of making him carry the weight and that kind of thing and that was a side of Charlie that we really haven't seen before we're used to him going out there standing in the middle of the octagon and just throwing leather and getting 
trying to end the fight that way. But this time around, like it was an awful lot more sort of tactical. And I can see why he would be so delighted to talk to you after that fight. Because, you know, mm. when you go in there and you do it, and not only that, but defensively, you did very well. Like, you know, we often think about, you know, when you were up against the cage, we talk about the person with their back to the cage, like we were Alan Chad, but the person putting the pressure on, their footwork has to be great to keep them there, to keep mm. the other person there. They're, you know, the, the, the way they have to sense and read where the movement is going, where shoulders are dropping, where they could possibly lose an underhook and maybe the advantage and that kind of thing. And I thought Charlie did really well. And, like, you know, I don't know if I heard him say it too much in the commentary, but it certainly he deserves credit for how he maintained the pressure up against the, the cage for, for almost the whole fight because mm. an awful lot of that fight was up against the fence and it was because Charlie kept it there. It wasn't because Kurtz wanted to be there at all. Yeah, and, and Charlie kind of said that to us as well afterwards. Like, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to go in there and, you know, fight a stupid fight. You know, he wanted to go in there and fight a smart fight. He didn't want to go in there and, you know, get knocked try, get knocked out trying to knock a lad out. He wanted to, you know, pick the shots and get the knockout when it came. That's exactly what he did. You, you know, a good performance from Charlie. It mightn't have been the most exciting, but it was the ex- most exciting performance on the main car, but overall it mightn't have been the most exciting, but it was it was what he needed to do and I, I couldn't criticise that, so very good, uh, good, very good for him. And you could say the same, I suppose, about Liam McCord. Not the most exciting in the world, but she did what she needed to do uh, after maybe, you know, struggling to make way, cut a lot of weight. She said she had a bit of an injury as well, coming in, you know, going in the main event, loads of extra media and things like that. She almost got armbarred in that fight as well. I, I don't think it was actually ever particularly on. I think maybe people in the crowd there were kind of saw it and was like, oh, it's on, but I don't think it was, uh, uh, you know, ever fully on you know she she was digging in it and stuff but i don't think it was ever a stage where she was gonna gonna tap from it you know a lot of people used to say she was a bit like misha tate and uh, you know look like her even <laughs> back in the day and I was, all i could think of was like oh this is like misha tate against ronda she's just gonna pull this arm out here and she's gonna <laughs> continue fighting that's like exactly what she did but luckily for leah she didn't end up getting arm bar in the end and she ended up uh, beating who that ruiz who you know she ruiz came out and she looked she looked I don't know if afraid the right word, but she looked like nervous. You know, she looked very nervous. But she yeah. came out and she didn't fight nervously. Like she fought, to, I think, to the best of her ability, and she gave Liam McCourt the test. You know, and Leah passed that test. I, I couldn't criticize her for that. But as a fight itself, I suppose closing up the car. What, what did you? Uh, what did you think of the fight itself? I know we kind of discussed that. Yeah, no, again, you have to give props to Ruiz. She turned up there, like, you know, in essentially, you know, McCord. I know she's from Belfast, but she was a hometown fighter, you know. Mm-hmm. And Ruiz came in there and she did her thing. And I don't think, you know, when she signed on for that fight, she wasn't signing on to behalf of the main event and that yeah. kind of thing. And I think she was sort of, you know, ah, shit, here we go. I'll go in there. But she was very, very solid. You know, mm-hmm. she didn't back down. She didn't take too many steps back. She fought hard. She fought well on the ground as well, you know. And like you said, that, that armbar that she went for, it, it wasn't. I was sitting watching the TV and the raw going, oh, there's an armbar. going, no, she's grand. She's getting mm-hmm. out of this now. And she did. And she was very stylish getting out of it as well. You know, I don't know if that's Team Torres Jiu Jitsu for the win there, but mm. you know, she looked well getting out of it and she skipped out. But the thing about Leah was as well, even all last week, um, when I was talking to her last week on the phone, uh, I remember talking to somebody after that and I was saying, what they need to do now is they need to get her weight cut and they need to get her out of the public eye and let her relax. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you were talking to her last Thursday as well or whatever, but yeah. she was sort of wound up and she was delighted and she said it several times publicly. So I'm not, you know, breaking any secrets here, right? But she was saying that, you know, she was laughing one minute and crying the next. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself that that's, that's a perfect situation where a fighter goes in and they freeze in the mm-hmm. octagon then or in the cage then. And that's not an ideal situation. But then again, you're dealing with Owen Roddy in our corner there. Owen has seen everything that there is to be seen. He's been in there himself. He knows how this thing works. And once the gate closed, all my worries disappeared because of this. So the focused look on her face. I don't know if she even heard her name being read out when they go through a record and everything else like that as the fighters were being introduced. But she went in there and I thought she fought, fought really, really well. And, you know, from the perspective that... We now know, and she now knows, that like, 
probably should she have finished that fight she would have liked it right mm-hmm. but she again she just didn't have enough tools in the box there to get it done you know and I, when we were talking a little bit earlier on about James Gallagher, James has a great habit of funneling the fight where he wants to go, which is onto your back and either a body triangle or get the hooks in and then choke you, rear naked choke, that's it, right? Mm-hmm. And Leah didn't seem to have that, you know, I know she probably had a game plan and that kind of thing, right? But your game plan tends to go, you know, unless you can steer it at that really, really high level to get the fight exactly where you want it to be, the game plan is not, you're always going to have to react, you know? Yeah. And she reacted, no, she reacted really, really well. I don't think, other than that, you know, split second where the arm was trapped between Ruiz's knees there. I think that was the only time when we thought, oh, she might possibly be in trouble. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't think, you know, she didn't get clocked. She didn't end up stumbling backwards or that kind of thing. So, you know, so she, but she did end up having to react to things in the fight. But on the on the plus side then, she cut a lot of weight. She managed to rehydrate and she went the full three rounds and didn't look too bad. Like she was still going hard at the end of it, you know? So I think mm-hmm. it, it's a really good building block. I think they're exactly right. David Green, Roddy, everybody's around us going, no, forget about Cyborg. Another year, maybe two years before anything like that happens. Keep her going. You know, I'd put her on a show now in, in you know put her in a co-main or you know put her on a main card in London or you know if they're coming to Stockholm or wherever they're going to do it get her out get her international get other people to see her you know she's a stylish girl she's well able to speak like yeah mm-hmm. I mean the amount of interviews that she had to do the very fact that they allowed me to speak to her on the phone will tell you how much they expected of her yeah. last week right mm-hmm. that would never happen at a main event for a UFC fight night and that kind of thing I just I can't I can't even remember the last time that happened for the UFC but but for Bellator they'll do it because they're building her you know but put her out there this experience i think is going to be a huge one for her because she now knows what's expected of her and she now knows as well what she needs to do so put all those things together and i think that you know she's i say waking up this morning i'd say you know she's a good sort of 50 percent better fighter than what she was yesterday morning mm-hmm. just from those experiences that she's had over the last few days yeah 100 um but just a couple of things as well to close up there was the we mentioned it earlier philip Mulpeter, daniel uh, crawford fight that fell out not a hundred percent sure exactly what that was, but there was something with a, with a medical anyway. I don't want to say too much about it, but you know, I believe you know. We we asked I asked uh, David Green straight out about it, and he kind of said, you know, no comment at the moment. Let's get something out. So when it's something like that, let's see what comes out first, and let's see what what is actually said. But you know, I was okay. Well, uh, I, I think we kind of have to be clear that this can mean two or three or four things. So mm-hmm. to be fair to the fighters involved, right? It could it could mean you know some sort of a test that's gone wrong. Oh no no. What it's not it's not drugs or anything like that now. So it's no no no. But, but, yeah, that, but yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. Like it, it could be a brain medical. scan. It yeah, could be something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. So so out of respect for the fighters, it's not up to David Green to go and make your or my medical records mm-hmm. public. Right? Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. so they, they so they would be in a position where they're not actually entitled to say that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're trying to hide anything. That's, they're not yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. trying to hide anything. Mm-hmm. So you know we, we shouldn't because what what always happens then is so somebody go oh you know somebody popped or whatever yeah. else like that. You know so yeah, we need yeah, to be yeah. fair to fighters and say that it's a medical issue, but they're not at liberty to just go around telling everybody their business that's you know? exactly it yeah that's it so yeah I, I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that and uh, last thing as well it was great to see like I was sometimes you go to these events and there's you know people maybe who shouldn't be on press row being there and you know some kind of dodgy questions and stuff I was I was very proud of the way people covered it you know Irish MMA and abroad as well obviously you'd the, the, the usual pretenders myself and Niall and Pizzi and uh, you know the, the lads working severe Andy Stevenson and Patrick and Podrick and all of them uh, doing great work but you had Katie coming over from uh, from the UK as well Jake who's really really great over in Newcastle and the, the most unfortunate man in the world he came for two cards in Dublin booked into hotel for like five days and then Kal-El Nord the Newcastle guy was not 
knocked off both cards and Ryan Scopey was knocked off with this card as well so you couldn't get more unfortunate you'd Jim there you'd Scott over as well with, with bloody elbow and you had Owen Sheehan from off the ball and you'd lad from BBC who's terrible as well <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm probably missing out on, on loads of people as well but I, I was very proud of the way uh, they covered it and everyone covered it and uh, I, it, it was it was it was very very good so I have to give a shout out to those people right let's five more minutes here we'll just have a quick run through this UFC card now I haven't I don't know how much of this card you've seen but I have seen the main event and, and, and that's it I'm I need to get a podcast out so I'm doing it here I, look this main event I watched it and I, I watched it last night, but I was kind of, you know, drinking a few pints and it was on Niall's laptop and the fucking laptop was, the, the internet and the Gibson was absolutely shite, so I didn't see it right. So I went back and watched it here after hearing all the controversy and all, but I didn't really hear what rounds it was controversial for. I, I thought I thought Hooker won the first three rounds. I don't know what other people were saying it, but I feel like in the first round, Felder was missing an awful lot and Hooker was just landing the more uh, clear strikes. Felder, as I mentioned on commentary, he wasn't cutting off the cage and he wasn't landing those. You know, I don't think there was that many what I would call hugely significant strikes, the mind is significant strike bullshit that they had to talk about on the stats. But I think because Hooker was kind of leading the... Uh, leading the strikes rather than leading the the uh, ferocity of the strikes because there wasn't that many of them. I think he won that round, and I think it was the opposite in the second. I think Hooker was l- landing the more hurtful strikes. Felder wasn't really landing at all. He was throwing lots of big hard strikes, but I thought he was missing them. In the third, Hooker or Felder was landing more. But I thought Hooker was still landing the more significant strikes. He was just a little bit faster with his hands. But at the start of the fourth round, Felder just came out flying, started landing more power shots. Hooker tried to take down, couldn't get it. Looked like he was his jaw was hurt. And in the fifth as well, uh, Felder's power, I think, kind of showed. I thought he won the last two rounds. Also, I must mention as well, the last minute of the fight, there was a takedown. And John Gooden... Oh my god, I loved it. He was like, oh, if, if they don't land anything here, this takedown doesn't mean anything. And if he doesn't have any significant uh, grappling, uh, or if he doesn't have any significant striking here, it doesn't count. And I was like, oh my god, I, lo- I love John Gunn. <laughs> put, put him on every fucking card. This is exa- How helpful is that, though? That someone just says something intelligent like that. But don't get me into another judging rant. What did you think of the fight? Who did you think won? No, I mean, again, it's one of those fights that's so hard to call. You know, Hooker, hometown guy and everything else like that. Yes, I can understand why he won. Felder probably left it a little bit too late Mm -hmm. to do all that damage. That kind of thing took him a little while to settle in there. I don't know. When you hear Felder talking so soon afterwards about, oh, that's me done now, you know, when you see a fighter, you know, he hasn't said that he's going to retire. But when that thought is in your mind beforehand, you know, sometimes you wonder if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that he goes in there, does almost enough to win win the fight, but doesn't so that he can walk away with his head held high. You know, you often wonder how much that affects the preparation and that kind of thing. Also, you're going to the other side of the world and that's Mm -hmm. that to do it. So, you know, it wouldn't have been robbery if Felder hadn't won it. I think, you know, fights like that where if two fellas go in there and they just, they go at it, you know, and every which way, you know, they both had like it was a real ebb and flow fight. You know, times when Hooker was on top, there was times when Felder was on top, and that's the kind of thing that you want to see at the top level. Like, so I mean, it was just amazing. And then when you compare it a little bit to maybe what we saw earlier on, and maybe the Bellator prelims, and you realize how how big the golfing class can actually be between mm-hmm. a well-rounded, experienced, capable, competent, skilled fighter and somebody who's only starting out. You know, and Aaron Chalmers, a two and a half or three years. You know, that there is a huge gap there. Again. Uh, when John is saying things like that in the commentary, that's the purpose of commentary is to educate, right? Mm. Tell me why I'm seeing what I'm seeing. Don't tell me what I'm seeing. I can fucking see, right? Mm-hmm. But tell me why I'm seeing it and explain to me why it's happening, you know? And it's absolutely brilliant that, you know, and, you know, you you should get great credit for that because you've been talking about judging for years. But to get that... um 
to, to get that sort of explanation from them at a time because you, guaranteed there were fellas sitting on sofas around the world there going, oh that oh. fucking takedown probably won him that round of and course. then all of a sudden he says it straight afterwards going remember there has to be something that comes out of it a takedown in itself is not going to be worth anything you know? mm-hmm. and again like, like I go back to Nate Diaz taking Connor down at one point uh, was it late in the fourth or late in the, the fifth, fifth round in, yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and that kind of, and people saying that, and you're just go, oh, slow the fuck down, mm-hmm. you know. So that's great. So you know, if anything else, UFC Auckland has you know sort of it, it's put a flag in the ground there for people know more about judging going forward. But I think like I saw, as I say, I switched over to the early prelims, and there was a couple of good fights. Um, Angela doing, well, I don't know, she's had like twelve fights this year or something. I don't know, but that was like good to see. There was like there was a couple of good fights on there, but nothing really that stuck out. But certainly the main events sort of definitely saved the whole thing. Like you know, it was mm-hmm. just it was tremendous to see. But you know, again, hookers like one of these guys now I think he's starting to get to the stage where people are going to have to start mentioning him as like a legitimate contender you know yeah. somebody who could be not at the very top not the kind of guy you're giving title fights to but if you want anybody to prove themselves in that weight class you can throw them against Dan, in against Dan Hooker and you'll find out soon who they are a really really exciting action fighter is what he is we need more yeah. of him and uh, more of him in MMA so it was, it was really great I thought it was a see watching it back everyone was blown up as like fight of the year and stuff I, I thought it was very very good but I, w- I wouldn't put it in the fight of the year category I thought in my rating for it would be a 7-1 which ending from a 7-8 is a great fight so I thought it was it was just about a great fight so that's where I, I will put it uh, so my, my scale is very tough so at 7.1 I think is good um, other than that Jimmy Cruz got a I was watching that last night actually on the laptop as well got a lovely Kimura and before that the Kovalkovich fight as well and there was a lot of people around there big fans of Kovalkovich last night watching that and she she lost unanimous decision uh, as well there this brad liddell must have firefight everyone was was blown about that they said it was a fantastic fight so i must definitely go back and uh watch that zuberia to hugov how is he still fighting in the ufc but anyway he won <laughs> uh he won here jail and turner won everyone's talking about him being the next star as well uh emil mech lost to uh jake matthews song Yida, or song uh, keenan won again kai cara france won as you mentioned angela hill and priscilla kohachera got a win as well and next week there is a huge fight in for the UFC flyweight title. Davidson Figueiredo versus Joseph Benavidez. Benavidez. Really, really looking forward to this. We're probably going to have... Joseph, don't oh, you? I love, I love <laughs> Davidson as well. It's going to be a fantastic fight. I feel like we're going to have five rounds of action. And I just wish the undercard was maybe a little bit more, you know, filled out. So, you know, it feels like we're trying to bury the flyweight title fight all the time. You know, in the comment of Felicia Spencer <laughs> versus Zara Fernando Santos in the women's featherweight. You know, you just mentioned women's featherweight and that's enough. I like the Yanku Delab and Kaliyev fight. Megan Anderson, another women's featherweight fight here. Um, but for me, Tom Breeze coming back. I can't wait to see Tom Breeze back. Like, to me, Tom Breeze is up there with some of the best prospects in the world. And I don't know if you can even call him that anymore because he hasn't fought in a while and he's, you know, he's been around for a long, long time as well. But I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, him fight. Uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully he's able to, to make it there. Uh, I believe Lewis Pena's on the fight as well. Wikipedia says it's TBD. So, uh, you know, he's always uh, exciting as well. And Ireland's own Sean Brady also on the undercard uh, here as well. So... There you go. Just one, one one question for you before you go, right? There was two mm-hmm. fighters we mentioned there in Auckland, right? One was my good friend from Norway, Mr. Mick, uh, who, who lost again. And the other is Carolina, right? And I'm wondering, you know, Emil's now gone out a couple of times. Like, Emil is a weird name in this part of the world, right? Because it's usually lads who are named after Emil of Lunabaria, which is one of Aston Lindgren's books. And they're usually like these, you know, glint in the eye, you know, lads who get up to no good kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he came in with a bang, but Jesus, there's been plenty of whimpers ever since. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I just can't work out. Now, I haven't seen the fight last night. That's one of the ones I'm going to go back and watch now when, when I'm done talking to you. So, you know, it would have been great to seen it beforehand. But it's a disappointing result for, for him again. I actually saw when the decision was announced. And that much I saw because I was watching something else at the time. 
But Carolina as well, she was a real rising star there for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, a gatekeeper there. But I think, is that three straight, four straight she's after yeah. losing now, you know? I think the thing about Carolina, when you get to almost the very top and you don't quite make it, I think it's... V- some people, you know... So, uh, Michael Bisping. He will keep fighting yeah. and fighting and fighting and he'll fucking <laughs> get there even when everyone thinks he's done. When he's fucking one eye, he'll get there. He didn't give a shit. <laughs> most pe- most people aren't like that. And, you know, mm. unfortunately, it looks like Carolina's one of those people as well. And, you know, a lot of people... Look at look at him and bro. He got to the top and he was the best in the world. People were, Well, some people were calling him the pound-for-pound pound best in the world. And the same thing happened to him. He fell off a cliff. I actually don't think Carolina's as, as bad as that. She's still fighting good thing, uh, good people. But, yeah, it's, it's tough. I think for Mech... I I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast before about anyone. Maybe I have about a couple of people, but he was a hype job, and he was never that good. <laughs> <laughs> so, like he he, he beat uh, Husimar Pal Harris, which when he beat him, it was like you know fucking mad bastard Pal Harris in Vinator over in Italy, and then Caposa made the most unbelievable video where he jumps up and he puts in the the karate kid. You're the best music and it was just absolutely <laughs> brilliant and uh, literally Caposa got him signed for, for the UFC he beat Jordan Mean but then he's lost three in a row all by decision mm. I think his takedown defense isn't great he's not great in the ground you know he's still a, a dangerous fighter a mad lad on the ground but like he's fought Jake Matthews a very good wrestler very good all around fighter Cameron Usman was uh, one of the other guys he fought as well so yeah. you know maybe I'm being like, a little bit harsh I, often wonder, like, I, think he, I think he got sort of put in there against these guys like Cameron Usman without ever showing that he ever belonged yeah. in there and you know the funny thing he's huge Usually popular. He has some deal with a betting company in Scandinavia and he turns up everywhere and he's good crack. Like, you know, he's a nice bloke and that kind of thing. But I'm still at a loss to work out what kind of fighter he is or why he's in there against these names of these big cars and that kind of thing. And like, the thought actually struck me when I got up this morning, I was going through results and fights and reading reports and that kind of thing, that him and Carolina may very well be turning up on our Bellator Europe cards Mm -hmm. in times to come because maybe that's really where, a little bit like Oliver Enkamp now, who sort of come to Bellator to find himself and is discovering, you know, uh, himself in Bellator there. you know I think it could be very very entertaining for us Carlina especially she's one of those people I really like she's always been really sort of decent honourable you know a nice person to talk to good interviews she goes out there she fights everybody she gives everything that she's got like you know and you'd love to see her make a heap of money out of those Bellator Europe guys at the same time as putting girls like you know new girls in there against her they're going to learn an awful lot win lose or draw in three rounds against her you're going to learn, learn a hell of a lot because you're not going to be getting out of there if you don't you know mm-hmm. and Amy might be one of those guys as well but like you know it be safe. But just you know you kind of wonder if how much longer they can survive in the UFC because the UFC are not known for rewarding people who lose three, four fights in a row with new contracts, you know. So that would be my worry coming out of Auckland after that, you know. Yeah, 100%. There was actually a Belter card last week as well, uh, Belter 2 train apparently. Um, uh, <laughs> Yaroslav Amosov defeated. I can't keep up anymore, Sean. I'm drowning <laughs> yeah. in the fights. Brandon Gartz had a run. Uh, and other people won as well. It, like, them decisions were somewhere. <laughs> no, you'll you'll one find one. them. Before we go, and I know I've kept you really way too long this Tyson Fury fight we can't we can't go without mentioning this I, I stayed up in my fucking hotel room in the Gibson last night about 5 hotel 5, five hotel 5am eating a fucking pizza from Apache Pizza I don't know how they delivered it's great being in Dublin I'd fucking be dead if I was <laughs> in Dublin I knew you'd love it at the end <laughs> but uh 
I, I like I've been saying for a long time that Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight in the world. And I, know, I suppose it's not any breaking news or anything. I think like anyone who's watched him kind of knows that. But it's all about with Tyson. Is he said in the right place? And I think you know it has been. And if you look at that last fight, what was he two fights back from being fucking thirty stone and being you know <coughs> on, on the verge of suicide and everything like that? And he he beat Deontay Wilder. I think everyone knows he beat Deontay Wilder the first time. And I just knew he was going to beat him again the second time. I didn't think he'd beat him as easily as he did. He just dominated him for for seven rounds, hurt him early, hurt him in the middle, hurt him late, and the the towel came in. It was it was an epic well, beatdown, really, wasn't it? It was fantastic, and you know it's amazing. Like you know to talk about it, like it's the way he beat him, right? Mm-hmm. So the first time he went out there and he just avoided pretty much everything, you know. Like yeah. he did an absolutely brilliant display of defensive boxing. But last night he fought off the front foot for six and a half rounds, mm-hmm. and he chased him down. And like you know, when he landed that right hand and you know essentially burst uh, Deontay Wilder's eardrum, whatever damage that he caused there, and just Wilder's legs were gone after that. So he didn't have the connection somewhere between his brain and his feet wasn't working anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you can't plant your feet, you can't punch anybody when you're in the air. You know, you can't punch anybody unless you have a foundation to throw punches or kicks. You yeah. can't do it. And when when Wilder, when that was taken away, all of a sudden, no, he was still dangerous. On, on occasion, he got his feet under him and he managed to throw a punch, that kind of thing. And he clocked him once or twice, but it was just amazing how he disarmed him. And then I wouldn't exactly say that he played with him for the rest of the time, but he was very, very clever in how he went about just picking him off, picking him off, picking him off. And like you say, he hurt him. He landed shots. Mm-hmm. In almost every round, he landed something to hurt Wilder. And Wilder, for me, that after the second round, did not yeah. look like what he wanted to be there. He was just... Mm-hmm. Now, it's all all credit to the man. He went in there unbeaten, hadn't been knocked down in ten years, and he went to, and he kept getting off his stool, mm-hmm. and he would have kept getting off his stool yeah. until or, or, or until they threw in the towel. And they did, and to me, it was the right decision yeah. because fair play to him for throwing that towel. Yeah, that, that's like what's the point in going in there? He was never winning enough. I think as well, it's it's very telling that it was in the seventh round, right? You know, so you've gone over the, the halfway point, and the lads are standing in the corner going, "You know what? This is not going to get any better." Yeah. You know, this, this, no. So so save the fellow the damage there and that kind of thing. And I mean, a burst eardrum is not, like you know, there's no guarantee that that's repairable in any way. Like it's usually the other way around. You're almost guaranteed to have serious damage off it. So they did the right thing. They took the fight out of there. I mean, I really hope that he comes back. I really hope that there's a trilogy fight and that he comes back and let it happen in two years. Doesn't matter to yeah. me. Yeah. But oh, you know, yeah. but, not but, but like the, the, the not now, no, no, not like, next. I don't know. Give me mm-hmm. Anthony Joshua, give me whoever else. Like, oh, you know, you it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, but that's the thing. And I mean, I honestly think that I don't think that Anthony Joshua, you know, you, I mean, Anthony, Anthony Joshua shouldn't drive a taxi with him in the back seat, he yeah. just doesn't belong in the same place at all. But by Jesus, I'd love to see it. Me know? too. Uh, if I was Eddie Hearn and Joshua was my golden goose, there's no way I'm putting him near Tyson Fury. Like, Tyson Fury is by far the best heavyweight in the world, he's the best heavyweight we've seen in a long time. Like, he dominated Vladimir Klitschko as well. Don't forget that, who was the best heavyweight yeah. we'd seen in 15 years, you know, b- between fucking Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson, all them lads as well. So, enough. But that was actually the fight. Brilliant. I remember watching that fight, and I started to watch that fight because I don't know. I remember saying to you years ago that I'd lost interest in professional boxing in general. Mm-hmm. Right? I would watch it, but I didn't feel anything. It's like I was watching Arsenal against Everton. We're speaking on Sunday now. I was watching Arsenal against Everton, mm-hmm. and I don't. I, I honestly don't care who wins. I'll watch it and go gold. That's going to whatever's happening. Yeah. I, but I don't feel anything for it. But the night that Fury beat Klitschko, I felt like I did as a teenage lad in Dublin watching yeah, any sort of heavyweight boxing, any sort of boxing at all. Like that's when you really feel somebody winning and you know 
while and you really sort of respect them and you love them for it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was when he beat Klitschko. And then, like, you know, when he beat Deontay Wilder, when he beat him the first time, when he got the draw the first time, yeah. you kind of felt robbed, you know. And it's like the fan in you starts to reawaken. But then last night, when you see that clinic that he put on, you know, and you're right, anybody who's trying to build up a heavyweight, you don't want it to wind up on the path of Tyson Fury because let's remember when he beat Klitschko, he was still in a fucking mess mm-hmm. mentally, you know. He was only minutes removed, you know, like he'd never really, so, you know, in terms of what he did inside the ring was absolutely brilliant, but his life was a mess outside of it. So to be able to do that in that mental and physical condition and then to keep it going then over, you know, whatever sort of, you know, the, I don't know what sort of a roller coaster he's been on ever since, but to come back for that, like not only, not only is he sort of a, one of the greatest boxers we've ever seen, he's one of the toughest human beings mm-hmm. we've ever seen because he's been, like he's lived all this out in public. None of this is secret from mm-hmm. you and me, you know, he's talked to Gareth A. Davis, I don't know how many times over the last one. So it really is now, I know he has, you know, opinions about gay people. I know he yeah. is a very, very conservative, uh, very, very conservative worldview, very, sort of, you know, Christian worldview. And, you know, some of the things he comes out with, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't respect any of those things at all. But at the same time, you have to respect what the man does in the ring and you have to respect the, sort of the you know, the, his ability to bounce back from his own personal trials, you know, regardless of his opinions. Yeah, I, I you couldn't, I couldn't put it better than that. Here, last question before we go. <laughs> no, I, feel, I don't <laughs> want to ask this good. question. Keep this answer to less than 10 seconds because if we don't, it's going to be 20 minutes. Who's going to be next? Who's going to be the government? Oh, in Ireland? Yeah. There's going to be another election. Is there? And do you think yeah. Sinn Féin will get enough seats to put a government I, 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 I think between Sinn Féin and the centre-left and the left, I think that they'll probably get enough to get a government because that's just the way it's it's leaning at the moment. You know? So right. that's yeah. the way I would expect that to go. I could be wrong. I wouldn't go putting any money on that, you know? As I say, I'll tell you I'll tell you why it happened afterwards, but I'm not going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, that, <laughs> Never before. That, that's what I do in this podcast every week. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Tippin's a mug game. Mug game. If you notice, Sean, I'll never say that he's going to win, she's going to win. That Never do that, right? Mm-hmm. Never do because what you can be sure as eggs are eggs, somebody's going to send you back that tweet and you're going to end up eating up to the rest yeah, of the I've done that. I, I'm brave enough to do that. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> exactly. oh, yeah. I have no backbone whatsoever. I'll continue avoiding these hard questions as long as I go. Uh, <laughs> I'll make the call. I'll make a call. Some fella came up to me and gave it out to me the other day about judging. I was like, All right, Jesus, calm down. I'm only, I'm only trying my best. But anyway, these things happen in MMA. And uh, we <laughs> hopefully no one else gives out to me about judging. But anyway, Phil, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Sean's a pleasure. And uh, thanks very much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to severe MMA's listeners, even the ones I annoy when I say that spinning elbows aren't really that good. <laughs> These things happen to me, Phil. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Cheers, we'll see you all next time. <laughs>